Hola, and welcome to the Align Podcast with Audrey. Get ready to go behind the scenes and uncover the secrets of what it takes to become an exceptional woman. Join me as we dive deep into the nitty gritty of daily practices that build the foundation for success and happiness. From faith to fitness, mindset work to daily disciplines, we'll explore it all. This podcast is specifically designed for women who are ready to unlock their true potential. So grab your favorite drink, get comfy, and let's embark on this journey together, uncovering the real day-to-day practices that shape extraordinary women. I would say that all of my life, I have had a relationship with God, but not all of my life I have been persistent in prayer and seeking him out as much as I have been in the last two years. And that's probably because of the discernment of spirits. The rules for the discernment of spirits is something that St. Ignatius of Loyola put together. You can go Google him and see who he was. But he was someone that created this framework to help you understand the way that God works in our lives and the way that the enemy tries to tempt us. So if you think of those cartoons that we saw growing up when we were little, when the person had like the devil on one shoulder and then the angel on the other shoulder, it's a lot like that. And I discovered this when I was on the Halo app. So I've told the story before that I thought to myself, like, what does it look like if I tithed my time to God? And so that became a daily holy hour. So during that holy hour on the Halo app, I discovered uh, the spiritual exercises by Father Timothy Gallagher. And Father Timothy Gallagher is an expert in the writings of St. Ignatius. So he takes everything that St. Ignatius wrote about and just makes it in a way that's easier for us to understand. So if you're familiar with Hallow, you know that they do these challenges where you sign up and every day there's like a meditation and a prayer to go through. So what Father Gallagher did with the spiritual exercises is that he went teaching this framework, the rules of spiritual discernment in this challenge. And I learned so, so much. Because what would happen to me is that in periods of dryness or just when I didn't feel like praying, I would let that feeling win me over. And it wouldn't even be like a a, a overnight thing. It would be like, I don't feel like praying today. So I would pray a little less. And then tomorrow I would pray even less until I wasn't really praying at all anymore. And not realizing that um, because we right, we all acknowledge God, but that that deep, intense prayer and relationship with Him it, it's it's something that we have to show up to every single day, and that's what I didn't have um, except for two years ago. So I really wanted to bring this to you guys because it's something that really helped me, and I pray that it really helps you. So the way the Saint Ignatius came to write this framework for spiritual discernment is that he was a soldier and he got injured. During that time in recovery, um, he got to know God. He was someone that didn't know God at all. And he started to develop this relationship with God. But during that time, he was also in love with somebody. And he would start to see the way that when he would think about her and things of the world and the society that she belonged to, He would feel joy. He would feel pleasure. But then after a while, this emptiness settled in. And he realized that then when he thought about the things of God, the things of heaven, the things of the kingdom of God, that joy would stay with him. 
And he started to really focus on the self-awareness of the stirrings in his heart with the different things in his life. And therefore, he created this framework to help us to advance spiritually and make decisions. So I want to focus. There's 14 rules, according to St. Ignatius. I want to focus on the first six because they helped me incredibly. Now, something that St. Ignatius always talks about is that whenever we approach God, we have to approach him with the mindset that he loves us and he's looking for a relationship with us. I know that sometimes we tend to approach him maybe like a little in doubt, maybe a little bit incredulous or hoping that he's going to answer our prayers, but not really sure. And it's very different to show up with the posture that St. Ignatius tells us to show up with, which is in, I think, Mark 10, when Jesus looks upon the man and said to him, and it said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So if every time that we approach God with prayer, we have that confidence that God is looking back at us with love, it changes the relationship because we know we it's a place in which we are welcomed. It's a place in which we could freely open up our hearts because we are freely accepted. And that's really important. So you approach God in this manner. And there's also three things that we have to do to advance, which is number one, become aware of the stirrings of our hearts. So question everything that you feel. Question it. Where is this coming from? What made me feel this way? When did this start? Number two, understand. Understand what these stirrings mean. Where is God directing us and where is he not directing us? What are the feelings and thoughts that come from God? Which are the feelings and thoughts that are implanted in us by the enemy? And number three, take action to accept to live according to the will of God and not according to the will of the enemy. So what does he mean by this? Let's look at the first rule of spiritual discernment. The first rule says, in persons who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is ordinarily accustomed to propose apparent pleasures to them, leading them to imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. A mortal sin is anything that goes against one of the Ten Commandments that you do willingly. Because, you know, there are there are people that, didn't grow up in the faith and don't know that certain things are sin. Jesus has more mercy on those people because they don't know, but it's different in us that know and choose to keep on acting or behaving in certain ways, choose to keep choosing sin. So what does it say? Like, this is the way the world lives most, mostly now. If we think of the movies, what we see on social media, so many things are just normal and commonplace, so many sins. And a good a good example of this is something like pornography. Once you're exposed to pornography, that's something that lives in your thoughts, which the enemy can keep introducing to you via your memory. So this is exactly what this first rule is talking about. When you're in a state of mortal sin, the enemy is going to keep showing you the pleasures of the sin. So if you think of those things that you're inclined to sin with, that's going to seem pleasurable to you. Let's say it's drug use. You're going to want it. You're going to crave it. Let's say your sin is gluttony. Like you're going to constantly think of the pleasure of eating. And and like I mentioned, porn works the same way. Like the images are going to keep coming back to flood your mind. Because once something is in your thoughts, once you have been exposed to the sin, 
the enemy can always use that same sin to lure you back in. And it's in a pleasurable way. You're not going to feel guilty. It's going to be in a pleasurable way. Now, on the contrary, this first rule also tells us that in persons that the good spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, uses a contrary method. It starts to sting and bite at their consciences using their rational power of moral judgment. So when you're in this first rule and there's sins that you're committing, the pleasure is going to be to keep sinning. You're not going to feel bad about those, but you will start to feel guilty. Like your conscience is going to nag at you a little bit and bite at you, feel bad for things that you're doing, not because you want to give them up, but you feel like, nah, I should be doing that, but whatever, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a burden there. It's not going to, it's not going to entice you to look for God. I'll tell you that it's going to make you feel ashamed. It's going to try to isolate you in that way. Well, not the, the good spirit wouldn't try to isolate you, but it's going to prick at you so that your conscience bothers you. You know, and that that first stage of shame is something that you're not even that alert to because when we're in this, when we're navigating by this first rule, I like to say that sin is like a cloud. When I think back in areas of my life in which I didn't have this strong relationship with God and I wasn't really looking to live according to his will, I would feel like I'm in a cloud, like things, nothing's a big deal. Oh, that's okay. And we see so much of that in the secular world where we hear like, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody or that's true for you, that's not, you know, that's not true for everyone. And that's okay. You just live your truth. That's a cloud in which we live in because not everything can be true. Not everything can be true. That word would not exist. And Jesus came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we're in this state of mortal sin and we keep sinning, we're not even aware of it. We think everything's okay. Everything's permissible. As long as I'm happy, as long as you're happy. And then everything that comes from God feels like a burden. And that's why it's like pricks at you. So that's, that's the first rule. The second rule is then when we start to journey in our relationship with God and we make an effort by the grace of God to improve our lives. And St. Ignatius writes, and persons who are going on intensely purifying their sins and rising from good to better in service of the Lord our God, the method is contrary to the first rule. For then it is proper to the evil spirit to bite, sadden, place obstacles, disquieting with false reasons so that the person may not go forward. I think of the parable of the sower here. You now, how Jesus says that, you know, a sower went out to sow seeds and some of it fell on shallow ground or in thorns that just killed the plant before it could really grow and prosper. And that's what happens here. The enemy on seeing your attempt to, to change your life, to do better, is going to start putting obstacles in your way and give you sadness. So maybe those friends that you used to sin with turn their back on you. Things start to go a little harder and you don't know if you have what it takes to keep on going. Because whereas before the enemy would make it easier for you to sin, now he's going to put obstacles in your way so that you don't go forward. And the, that life is going to try to pull you back. And you're going to feel bad for trying to improve your life. And you're going to have thoughts like, who am I kidding? Like, I can't make this work. This is just who I am. Now, the spirit of God instead is going to start to give you courage 
strength, consolation, tears. Have you ever felt so close to God that the tears start streaming? It's not that you're sad or anything, but you're, you're just so overwhelmed by the love of God that you start to tear. That, that's amazing. Inspirations, quiet, and God is going to make it so a lot of the obstacles go away so that you could keep going forward. So like the battle is really on in this sense. Now, the third rule is the rule of spiritual consolation, which is a pure gift from God. It's not the state that we're supposed to be in all the time. And it's something that I need to remind myself of because all of us want to stay in spiritual consolation. Spiritual consolation is when you feel so close to God, you see his hand in everything around you. But we have to understand that spiritual consolation is purely a gift from God. It's not the normal that we're supposed to receive and live day in and day out. So a definition of spiritual consolation is when interior movement is caused in the soul through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And consequently, when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but only in the creator of them all, meaning that you're so absorbed with the love of God that all of a sudden things on earth don't really mean anything to you. I know that my father, when he had his reversion to the faith, he used to love to go out dancing like every night of the week. And he just like didn't care anymore. You know, he cared more about reading his Bible and, and looking more for God. And then it goes on to say, likewise, when it sheds tears that move to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one sin or for passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly ordered to this service and praise, Consolation is every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. And that is such a beautiful thing. These are those moments in which everything kind of just falls into perspective and you're able to see like the things of this world don't matter. The creation doesn't matter as much as the creator and so we focus, we put things in order, in the order in which they're supposed to be, which is God first, and then everything and everyone else. So if there's a third rule of spiritual consolation, that means there's also a rule of spiritual desolation. And it's something that I've actually been going through a lot lately. Desolation is the contrary of the third rule, such as darkness of the soul, turbulence in it, movement to low and earthly things, quiet from various agitations and temptations, moving to lack of confidence, without hope, without love, finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, as if separated from one's creator and Lord. For just as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts that come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts that come from desolation. Meaning that when we're in consolation, we want to do everything for God. We think to ourselves, I'm going to fast. I'm going to go out and help the poor. I'm going to donate more money to charity. I'm going to do all these things. I want to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible every night for an hour. Things like that. Like your soul is just so inflamed with wanting to connect more with God that your thoughts are always led by God and what's going to be good for the kingdom. But then in desolation, the opposite happens. Father Gallagher, who I said um, is an expert in all of these writings of St. Ignatius, he, he talks about the litany of desolation, which I've noticed in myself. 
when I'm in desolation and I feel sad and I feel God far from me. And the thoughts are always like, God doesn't care about this. God is not going to help me. I'm alone in this. Like, I've messed this up. Those are the thoughts that keep coming to me. And the reason that I love this so much is when you see this as a framework and you see like, this is the way that the devil is going to operate in anybody's life that's trying to get closer to God. When you see this as a framework, it's no longer a personal thing that something's wrong with you. As I used to think, like, why does God feel so far away from me? Does he not love me? Does he not care for me? Does he not realize that I feel this way? But then I'm able to be like, wait a second. I'm in desolation right now. And in desolation, it's kind of like in the book of Job, where God allowed Satan to tempt Job. That does not mean that God stayed far away from Job. God never leaves us. God is always right there. In fact, one of the rules of the spiritual discernment is that God is always there and he gives us sufficient grace to withstand the desolation. There's, there's times that we go through trials that we think that we don't have what it takes and that God has abandoned us, but knowing that this is just the enemy trying to get to us, that this is spiritual warfare, then you know what to do. You know that you can keep going and that God is with you because what God wants to do in these moments in which he allows desolation is to take us off of our dependency on our feelings. We depend way too much on our feelings. And if we feel like praying, if we feel like praising God, if we feel like opening our Bibles and reading scripture, and it's not a feeling, we cannot depend on those feelings because something that this other priest I listened to always says is that the enemy operates on the same channels that God does, which is our thoughts and our feelings. We can never trust our thoughts and our feelings because when we're in desolation, we're going to feel depressed. We're going to feel low. We're going to feel that God doesn't care about us. And we are in danger of thinking that that's true and it's not. But when we're in desolation, it's important to think of it as a gift that's why it's important to think of it as a gift from God. So we don't take pride or expect it all the time. God wants to wean us off these thoughts and feelings so that we can come to a mature faith. When you have a mature faith, it's a 100% thing that doesn't waver. It doesn't depend on if you feel like it today or not, or if God is showing you signs or not. That's mature faith. Immature faith is when we're starting out and we're looking for these feelings and and oh, I felt the presence of God at church today. Oh, and I, you know, this just really touched me. Yes, that's beautiful, and it's, it's but it's pure gift. God doesn't have to give us that. He gives us that out of love. But what we want in any relationship is to someone to love us for who we are and be solid in that love, right? And that's what God wants from us. So when we are in times of consolation, it is pure gift. Don't expect it all the time. It is pure gift. Relish in it. Praise God for it. Hold on to those times of consolation as proof of his goodness so that when you're in desolation, you remember that because God does not change. How we think and feel changes every single day, like probably every hour of the day. God does not change. So in those moments of desolation, know that it's a test. Know that it's the enemy trying to take us off our game. 
everything that we start to believe during desolation, if we're not grounded in our prayer life and in our relationship with God, is meant to lead us astray. Because in these moments of desolation, what the enemy wants is for us to stop praying, for us to change our mind about following him. Think again about the parable of the sower. Those people that set out to follow God, if their hearts weren't fertile soil, they're going to change their mind about keep follow, about keeping up with following him. Think about, for example, the rich man that Jesus said to him, give up your treasures and follow me. He probably decided to himself, who knows, the Bible doesn't say what he decided, but he probably thought to himself, like, I can't do that. So all of these good intentions that we have during desolation, the enemy's going to come to rob and steal them from us. Which brings us to my favorite rule. This is the rule that changed my life, changed my spiritual life. The fifth rule says, when in desolation, do not change your goals or your prayer life. How many times have we been in desolation and stopped praying? I told you guys, that's what I used to do. So I've had this holy hour, right? And I went through desolation during that time and I wanted to stop going. I would sit there and everything would just feel really dry and I would be extremely distracted. Like those times when you're in prayer and you're just looking at the clock, like, okay, how much longer do I have to do this? And your mind can't even focus on putting together any prayer to God because you're so distracted maybe by troubles. Desolation can come about from illness, from financial problems, from relational problems. These earthly desolations can produce in us spiritual spiritual desolation. And so the enemy's tactic at those moments is to totally break trust with God so that we go back to leaning on ourselves and stop leaning on God. So with the fifth rule, do not change anything. If you promised God, if you made a resolution in your prayer life to say a rosary every afternoon, to read the Bible for half an hour and meditate on it, do not change it. No matter how dry and difficult it becomes, rule six tells us to be even more active and work against it with more prayer, more meditation, and more examination of conscience and penance. Because a lot of times the spiritual desolation could be brought on by maybe we're not as disciplined as we think we should be in our in our prayer life. Maybe we're not taking it as seriously. Um, maybe there's a sin that we need to confess and it's given way to the enemy to come and tempt us and make things harder on us. If you think about it, desolation is also a gift. Because if we remain rooted in the anchor of Christ, during desolation, we become stronger. It gives us an opportunity to weed out those sins that might be distracting us. It gives us an opportunity to strengthen our prayer life so that we do just as I said earlier, which is stop depending on feelings in order to praise our God. But to live our relationship with God and our daughtership, our sonship with God as fact, 
that is such a strong point right there, right? Because I think that that's the goal of everything in our lives. Like when I think about being a baby in my faith, I think about how we come to God because we want things. We approach God because somebody needs healing, because we're going through a hardship and we want him to heal us. We want him to make things better. And these rules of consolation and desolation, they're going to repeat all of our lives. There's going to be moments of consolation that come and go, moments of desolation that come and go. But God is never going to completely take away the hardship from our life. Yes, he's God and there's things that he can cure and, and fix in an instant. But there's other things that become our crosses that lead us closer to salvation and that what make us truly understand that a relationship with Christ is not about having an easy life and having things go well for us and our family and everybody that we love. The point of a relationship with Christ is knowing that he is the prize. That no matter what storm we are going through in our lives, his love and his providence is sufficient. That's why in the Our Father, it says, give us today our daily bread. If you think about the man in the desert, they had to eat it all in one day and not have anything over for the next day. Why? Because we have to keep trusting that every day God is going to give us what we need. So we don't forge on in this relationship with him in order to see good things. Yes, God is going to give us all the blessings that he wants to give us. But the point is to know that he is our anchor and that he loves us and that he sustains us. Because that's what heaven is, right? Heaven is really the place in which all of our troubles go away and we lead this fully abundant life complete with complete happiness. That doesn't happen here on earth. It happens in heaven. And if we want to live this life in heaven, that's a life that's fully dependent on him. And this life here on earth is where we learn to walk in that way. So we praise him for those moments of consolation where he shows us his love as gift. But we choose discipline in our prayer life so that in these moments of desolation, we don't let that litany of desolation deter us from staying faithful to God, from staying faithful to our prayer life, which keeps us connected to God and develops our faith. He's the prize, and I am so grateful for the writings of St. Ignatius. I'm so grateful for Father Timothy Gallagher for teaching us this. Because when you look at it that way, I'd love to look at things like pure science, right? Like I, I can't get mad at things when I know, like I can't get mad at something falling because I know the the law of gravity, right? If I, if I know that I put something in a corner where it could fall and it falls, that's my fault. That's not like, oh, why did that fall? That's so weird that that fell. It's the same thing here. If I know I'm in desolation, then I know for a fact that it's not that God has left me. It's that the enemy is trying to deter me. And therefore, I have to lean on closer to the Lord who saves me. 
because I know that he's still with me there. And I know that everything that the enemy tries to put in my mind during desolation is a lie. He's the father of lies. I pray this podcast blessed you guys today. I pray that you hold on to this fifth rule of not changing a thing when you're in desolation and you know that God is always with you. Anybody or anything that you hear that tells you that God has abandoned you, that God doesn't love you, that you're not worth anything, that God's not going to help you in any situation, it's a lie from the enemy. Don't believe it. Believe in the truth of Jesus Christ who loves you, who has a plan for your life. And as long as we're obedient to that plan, that will that he has for us, he's going to give us everything that we need. That this podcast touch you, I, pr I pray that you share it with somebody that needs to hear it. And please pray for me and I will pray for you.